Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Well, it's nice to have a new guitar up here this morning, wasn't it? Wasn't that great? It's good also, too, to see the praise team. You see that all matching? Wasn't that great to see that? Man, y'all do a good job. Thank you so much for singing that song. Because that song, what we just sang, really, is what we're going to be talking about today. So take your Bible, please. And turn to Matthew chapter 6. And as we're looking today at the, the prayer that the Lord gave us, we won't call it the Lord's Prayer. We've been taught not to do that, but call it something more than the model prayer too. It's really the prayer the Lord gave us. We'll be looking today really at verse 10. We'll do that in just a minute. But I'm glad that you're here today. Just like we mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm glad that the Lord and His providence and His sovereignty has allowed you and us to be able to have this moment right now. Because it was a little different circumstance from where we are today than where we were on Monday. This past week, we all together experienced the aftermath of Hurricane Irma. And I don't know if you really gave much thought to anything other than, my goodness, is the tree going to not fall on the house? Or, my goodness, when's the power going to come back on? But many of us were between two circumstances. Circumstances that were here. As we anticipated the hurricane, we were looking out. We were told that the hurricane was coming. We were looking out at blue skies. And then circumstances that were coming. We were between what we saw and what we were told that was coming. This massive hurricane that was going to have tremendous impact on us. And so what did we do? We watched. We watched as gas prices went up. Then bread and milk started to disappear from the shelves. By the way, I still can't figure that out. Why bread? Why milk? I don't know. Milk sandwiches? Who knows? I I really don't know. Then we started to see the, the television and it began to buzz. All the news networks and all the weathermen, all the elected officials, they announced you need to get out you need to evacuate you need to you need to be ready for the storm that's coming and people they fled by the millions up to georgia i was told by a few people that were uh, trying to get a room my neighbors actually they were trying to get a room for their anniversary they wanted to go away just to north georgia and they well it fell on the sunday right before the storm and well they had to forget about it there was no room for them some of my family came up to stay with other members of my family Some of uh, your family and friends probably did too. Some of my family in Florida rode out the storm. Maybe some of your friends and family did too. We were all waiting. We were all waiting because we'd seen the news. We'd all heard that something was coming. And sure enough, the skies in our neck of the woods began to turn black and dark. And the winds began to storm and howl and surge. I think the reason so much attention was given to this hurricane was because of what was fresh in our conscience, what happened not even a month ago. Houston was hit by a Category 4 hurricane with wind speeds up to 130 miles an hour. Hurricane Harvey prepared us for Hurricane Irma. And in some ways, we were paying closer attention to Hurricane Irma because of what happened at Hurricane Harvey. I just got to thinking, it's amazing how people will listen when their whole world has been rocked. 
It's amazing how an audience can be drawn when your life is at stake. It's amazing how people will listen. I want to ask you a question here this morning. Is there anything right now that you're waiting for with expectancy? Now the storm has gone. We all know what it felt like to be looking out our windows and watching the skies. But I want to ask you, believer, right now this morning, is there anything right now that you are waiting for with expectancy? And every follower of Jesus Christ, without any hesitation, should say, yes, there is something that I am waiting for with a joyful anticipation. The soon return of Jesus. The soon coming of our Lord. We here this morning, we are waiting and longing for the day when we will look into the heavens and we will finally be able to really sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Sounds like a wonderful thought, doesn't it? Do we really live with this expectancy? Do we really live with this expectancy? Are our lives characterized by being lost by the anticipation of the impeding, unstoppable, soon coming kingdom of God. Jesus has come. And in His coming, He did something incredible. He taught us to pray. What do we mean when we say that Jesus taught us to pray? We mean that He has set the posture of our hearts. This prayer is not just a prayer that we repeat. That's why we don't call it the Lord's Prayer or even the model prayer. It's not just a prayer that we repeat as if it's some liturgical thing that we say. This prayer is a framework as Jesus is taking our hearts and having our hearts fit into the framework of eternity. By teaching us to pray in this way, He sets the posture of our heart, not just anyway, but He sets the posture of our heart with hope. Today, we get to look at the hope of all those who claim Christ as King. And what is our hope? Thy kingdom come. Let's read the Bible together. Begin in verse 9 of chapter 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts. We also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for teaching us to pray. Thy kingdom come. May we today learn what it means to say Thy kingdom come. And by the end of this, this sermon, may You instill in our hearts this expectancy of a King who is coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, take your eyes for just a moment and hopefully you have a Bible in your hand. If not, your neighbor probably has one or maybe it's on your iPhone or whatever it is. Have the text in front of you in some way. and Look at verse 10 for just a minute. There are two phrases that go together. Look at them. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Those two go inextricably together, but for our purposes today, I want to just focus on the first phrase, Thy kingdom come. We're going to look at the next phrase next week, Thy will be done. But look at Thy 
kingdom come. What we just said when we said thy kingdom come is the hope that we hold not only for ourselves, but a hope that we hold for the entire earth. What we just said is when we pray that way, we say that there is a king that is coming. And when he comes, he is going to establish an everlasting peace. He's going to establish a forever rest. And this kingdom is unlike anything that the world has ever known. This kingdom is unlike anything the world has ever known. And right now, even today, the light of the dawn of this kingdom has already begun to bring in this new day. It's unlike anything that we've ever known. And right now, we can already see the light shining in the darkness. Now, did you catch that? Did you hear what I said? Hopefully, you did. It's unlike anything we've ever known. That speaks of our future hope. And right now, the dawn is already here. You know what that is? That's a present reality. Present reality, future hope. Present reality, future hope. If we're going to understand anything about the kingdom of God, we have to hold those two truths together. Now, this is why we're only focusing on this one phrase this morning, Thy kingdom come. We're biting off a very big topic today. I mean, we're only talking about the future of the whole universe. No big deal, right? I think we can handle it though, because our Lord has taught us to handle it. So, we're talking today about what is soon going to embrace and cover the whole earth. And if we're going to talk about that today, there's a few things that we need to know if we're going to hold this prayer deep in our hearts. Because that's what this prayer is. It's not just an opportunity for us to say some flowery thing and put it on our wall and maybe color it and make it all pretty or whatever the case. It's more than that. It's something that holds our hearts. Something that we hold on to, but more than something that we hold on to, it's something that holds us, constrains us us. We must understand that by praying this, we are heralding a message. We are announcing a message to a world that is full and filled with unbelief. And here's what's so good about this message. Don't miss this. Our message is the same as Jesus'. The message that we proclaim is the same message of Jesus. Jesus began His ministry in Matthew in chapter 4. If you wanted to go back, you could turn back there and you could see Jesus began His ministry by saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So now then, He teaches us to pray with this eager anticipation of Thy kingdom come. So we pray now in the present. Don't miss this. We pray now in the present in the hope of a future when one day the King will come and establish His kingdom in its fullest sense. So I hope you're writing notes today and these are going to be on the screen for you. I'm going to answer this question and I'm going to give four answers. What message are we declaring when we pray, Thy kingdom come? Number one, By praying thy kingdom come, first we're saying God is king. God is king. If you want to, you can take that is and circle it, bold it, put a little tornado underneath it, whatever you want to do. God 
is king. Now we're in a certain place in time. Some authors have said that we're between two worlds. That's John Stott, and he's probably right. And this he gets that from the, the witness of the New Testament. We're in this certain period of time where the kingdom of God and the kingship of God refer to two different things. God doesn't become king. God is king. The Bible never paints a picture or tells a story where God is not ruling over all things sovereignly. Ruling over all things sovereignly. Now this is what we mean when we use phrases like the sovereignty of God. I know some people are afraid to talk about the sovereignty of God, but you better not be, because Scripture is full of it. The sovereignty of God. What is that? The doctrine of the sovereignty of God is just a way for us to categorize our minds around the complete, awe-inspiring truth. A truth that you probably hold dear in your heart. That God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Now, don't you love that? Don't you want to look out in the world and see purpose? The only way that you can look in the world and see purpose in a hopeful sense is if you say God sovereignly rules. Men may intend things for evil. The hope that we have as Christians is that God can take the evil intentions of men and weave a tapestry of His grace. God rules over the whole world and everything that happens in it. What does that mean? Listen carefully. It means that He is never helpless. It means that He's never taken by surprise. It means that His hands are never tied. He's never at a loss. He's always and completely in control no matter how far it seems like off track the world has gone. He rules over all. So when you and I pray, Thy kingdom come, listen, that's a hopeful prayer. The base of that prayer is the fact that God already is King. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are appealing to the One who stretched the heavens out like a tent and He has set His throne above them. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are appealing to the only certainty in the universe. I hope you understand that. That's what they say. They say there's a few things that are certain, right? Death and taxes. Well, one day we won't have to pay taxes. Amen. Hallelujah. One day... Death will be no more. But you know what will remain? God will remain. He is the sovereign King who rules over all. So understand this. When we pray Thy kingdom come, we are praying to Him who is King, not appealing for Him to become something that He isn't already. When we pray this prayer, we are wanting truth to prevail over unbelief. And so we pray this way. Second, when we pray Thy kingdom come, 
we are declaring in that prayer that there must be something better. The hope of this prayer is real easy to spot. If you look at it the way that it's praying, Thy kingdom come, it's easy to think about the hope that's there. What are we praying? We are praying for a kingdom to come. Now some of you, because you're astute, you've already picked up on this. You've already seen this from the last point. You say, wait a minute, you just said God is king. If God is king, then why on earth did that tree fall on my house or knock out my power and may have to throw away all my food? Why in the island of Barbuda did 95% of the structures gone? If God is king, then why is there so much evil in this world? Listen to me carefully this morning, and this bears repeating again and again and again and again and again until my heart and your heart and the heart of the earth believes it. Listen carefully. Evil does nothing to diminish the kingship of God. Evil does nothing to diminish the fact that God is King. It's true. We experience pain and suffering right now. The reason we do experience pain and suffering right now is because evil has come into the world. Okay, how did evil come into the world? Listen to me carefully. Evil came into the world through rebellion. Rebellion. And I think rebellion is the right word to describe the present condition of our world that's filled with suffering and and pain. Rebellion is the right word to describe a world where we find ourselves always in the constant danger of death. Rebellion. Think with me. When God created man, what did He do? He spoke to Adam and Eve. When God created them, what did He do? He spoke to them. Does God speak today? Absolutely He does. How on earth does God speak today? Well, it's easy. This book that we hold in our hand. This is how God speaks today. This book that we hold in our hands is not just a book of literature. It's not just a book telling historical events that really did happen. Recalling those events. It's all of those things, but the Bible's not just those things. You know what this is? This is God's Revelation to us. This is the self-disclosure of God to us. He tells us what He wants us to know about Himself. And so then, He's spoken and established the universe and He's told us about Himself. And in Genesis, in the very beginning, this is why Genesis is so important. This is why we really never, in our Christian confession, we never really get past Genesis 1-1. Because every form of secularism, every heresy, is always trying to undo what God did in the beginning. If we can take God as the Creator out of the picture, then all of a sudden we become the end of ourselves. And that's what man in his rebellion is trying to do. Usurp. God who's in control. And so we attack Genesis 1. What do we do? In in Genesis, don't miss this, God speaks. 
And then Adam speaks. You know what Adam does first? He names the animals. Now don't miss this. A giraffe comes up to Adam. And of course he didn't call it a giraffe. He called it the Hebrew name for giraffe. Anyway, that's another story. But he calls it a giraffe. And you know what? He gets it right. Adam calls a giraffe a giraffe. And yep, that's a giraffe. Adam calls a turtle a turtle. Yep, that's a turtle. Adam calls, well, I'm not sure if they were mosquitoes. Adam called a uh, panda bear a panda bear. And you know what? Hey, he got it right. Adam is given authority to name the animals and Adam gets it right. But that's all that man can do. Man is not left to define anything else. God comes, remember the story, and He tells the man and the woman, you see that tree over there? Leave it alone. Don't touch the tree. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And on the day that you eat that tree, you're going to die. Whatever you do, leave the tree alone. Why does God say that? I think there are two reasons. One is the truth. The other reason is is because God wants His creatures to trust Him. Trust me. Don't touch that tree. Believe me. Whatever you do, don't do it. You know what God's doing? He's being God. He's defining reality. You see, Adam, he defines reality as he sees it. Giraffe, giraffe. Parakeet, parakeet. Panda bear, panda bear. And then God comes in. And He sets the limits. And He says, trust me. Of course, the rest of the story is is that they didn't trust God. When they fell, and they chose to disobey God, rebel against His authority, They chose in that moment to declare God a liar. But was God a liar? Did their rebellion usurp His authority? What happened to them? They fell. God said, on the day that you eat of this tree, you shall die. Then we read later in Genesis, Adam lived 900 and whatever years it was. And sure enough, he died. And I want to say this. As Romans says it in chapter 5, death entered the world through one man. And the whole world has felt the results of that one man enjoying his rebellion ever since. But that rebellion is only for a time. Listen. That rebellion is only for a time. Listen, this is why... Romans says what it says. Listen to what Romans says. Don't take my word for it. Listen to what Romans says. Romans says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing the revealing of the sons of God. Now listen to this next verse. For the creation was subjected to futility Not willingly, 
but because of Him who subjected it. Now listen to this next phrase. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now listen to this next phrase. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves. We, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Who is going to set creation free? God allowing the subjection means that His sovereignty was not diminished. Which means, because He is King, He then is able to set creation free. And interestingly, we can almost miss this if we're not careful. The suffering that we experience now is called the pains of childbirth. It's not called the pains of death. Why is that? Because hope has been secured for us by King Jesus. So when we pray, Thy kingdom come, you know what we're doing? Listen, we are making a declaration on enemy territory. That the present reality that we face is nothing compared to the glory that awaits us. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we pray the way that things are right now are not the way that things are going to be. And so, all through life then we get to carry this banner and march under this banner of hope as we continually pray, Thy kingdom come. There's a world that is coming that is better than anything that we could ever imagine, anything that we could ever hope for. And Jesus has come to bring that as well as He's coming to bring that kingdom. Thirdly, when we pray Thy kingdom come, we are declaring the King has indeed brought the better. You see the the progression? Remember, look at the outline here. Remember this. Present reality, future hope. There's something better. Future hope. The King, He's brought the better. This is the present reality part. All undergirded by this fact of the unstoppable, unconquerable fact that God is King. So when we pray, Thy kingdom come, we're making a declaration on enemy territory that we're marching all through life with this hope that has been secured for us through Jesus. Now think about this. Who in the world is it that's teaching us to pray this way? This is not someone who's teaching us to pray. This is Jesus. Who on earth is Jesus? Well, He's the one sent from the Father. God of God. Light of light. Begotten, not made. The Creator, not the creature. This is God. Well, why was He sent? For you. For me. He was sent 
to seek and save the lost ones. And so he came to save. Well, then that asks the question, how does he save? Listen to me carefully. He saves in His coming. Listen. His coming secured salvation for us. That night, remember the message that the angels told the shepherds? Glory to God in the highest. And they didn't say, hey, peace is coming. What did they say? On earth, peace. Goodwill to men. Now that declaration has happened. That happened before the cross. That happened before the resurrection. Because the plan of God is unstoppable. Why is that? God is King. So He secured our salvation in His coming. Oh yeah, He died on a cross. He rose again. That's important. But who was it that died on a cross for us? Who was it that rose again? The one who died for us was the same one who lived vicariously for us. He lived not just as our example. He lived vicariously for us. What does that mean? It means that He lived the perfect life that we needed to live. And then He gives us His very life. He is not just our example to follow. You can't follow. Jesus is our life. And so, how does He live? We watch all through Matthew, and we're going to get to do this together. We watch Jesus. He, he loves. He heals. He forgives. He feeds the hungry. He clothes the naked. He fights demons. He heals the sick. He cleanses lepers. He walks on water. He calms the stormy seas. He raises the dead. All as He is proclaiming, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Light is breaking through. And then what does He do? He who healed others, He who raised others from the dead, He then dies, and then what happens? He is raised from death alive. And eventually we'll get there. I don't know when. It may be. I don't know if the Lord will come back before or not. But eventually we're going to get to the end of Matthew. And Matthew, if you're paying attention closely, Matthew does not have an ascension passage. You have to go to Luke to read where Jesus ascends. You have to go to Acts to read where Jesus ascends. Now, did He ascend? Absolutely. But Matthew, you know what he does? Matthew leaves Jesus on the earth. You know why? Because there's a stream of thought that runs through Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew leaves the king on the earth so that we will understand this kingdom is not just a future hope, something that we're fearly reaching out for. This is something that has captivated our hearts now and propels us and marches us the rest of our lives as these people of the risen King. And so you might say, how can you say the King has brought the better? There again, Pastor, you are just 
spouting this religion stuff that just sounds really good, but you haven't experienced life like I have. You don't know what I've experienced, but let's be honest together. Let's look around together. How can you say that? Look around. There's disease. There's famine. There's war. There's the threat of war. There is evil. How can you say the coming of Jesus has changed the world? I say to that, we can all agree. and I agree with you. This message, it really sounds incredible. It almost even sounds idealistic. Maybe we should say it another way. It sounds like a message of hope. Think of the ministry of Jesus. He comes in a miraculous way. He lives in a miraculous way. He, While He's living, He invites others to follow Him. And, and then He dies and He comes to life miraculously. And then He appears to His disciples and many other witnesses of li- alive. And, and then He leaves. Remember when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating His death and resurrection until He comes. So there's a way by which when we celebrate the meal together that the Lord is here with us, but in another sense, He's not here. We have to hold those two truths together. And so He he comes, He does all of these things, and even the disciples, they say, is it this time? Oh, we're ready. Remember Peter, he's finally put down the sword. He finally says, Lord, is it at this time that You restore the kingdom? And then, what does Jesus say? Not for you to know. And He leaves. But He doesn't just leave, does He? That's not what happens. He doesn't just, as one movie shows him, you know, he just disappears into the sun. That's not what happens. As he ascends up to heaven with the marks of crucifixion on him, he tells his disciples that he is with them and that he's coming again. He's with them and he's coming again. And even that's not the end of the story. Go ahead, Peter. Go back to fishing, brother. No, that's not the end of the story. What do they do next? They go lock themselves in a room, probably because they were afraid for their lives. But probably they were doing what Jesus told them to do. They go lock themselves in a room. And then all of a sudden, in that room, do you remember? The same Spirit who descended on Jesus at His baptism ascends on His followers. And then they go into every corner of the earth with a message Guess what that message is? Thy kingdom come. Our lives as a church, our existence as a people of God, where we do these things like do not touch, do not handle, do not taste, all of this stuff that we do where we say no to the indulgence of the flesh, where we say yes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and obedience to God, all our lives are used to proclaim the message to the world that there is something more. Hope has entered the world. And here's the truth. Once the antidote has entered the bloodstream, there is no going back. The disease may hold on a bit longer, but ultimately the disease is defeated the moment that the serum touches the bloodstream. The antidote has been administered. Jesus has risen from the dead. The hope of the world is here. And it may take a while for the rest of the body to respond, but the remedy has been delivered. Death has lost. and Life has won. You see, this is why we don't just stand in our corners or in our holy huddles. This is why we as Christians have a mandate to follow. We fight 
for justice. Engage when we see injustice. We can't be silent. We have to speak. We can't just let it go because Jesus is King. This is why we call men to repent and we go into the deepest and darkest corners of the world. The King has come. He has paved the way. He has given marching orders to us and He has empowered us by His Spirit to declare Jesus is King. I think that we understood this better a few centuries ago. Martin Luther, who we're fixing to talk a lot about in October for the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Listen to what he said. Listen to what he said. This is how we understood his life. Listen to this. I was born to fight devils and factions. It is my business to remove obstacles, to cut down thorns, to fill the quagmires, and to open and make straight paths. If I must have some failing, let me rather speak the truth with too great sincerity than once to act the hypocrite and conceal the truth. If I must have some failing, let me rather speak the truth with too great sincerity than once to act the hypocrite and conceal the truth. We can't conceal the truth. The King who came and conquered death, the King who removed the sting of sin, is coming! He's coming! Fourthly, when we pray Thy kingdom come, we are declaring with a great hope in this world that there is a King who is coming, who is bringing the better that our hearts long for. Let me say it again this way. Jesus is coming. So when we pray, Thy kingdom come, we dare not, don't dare pray this prayer in a light-hearted manner. Thy kingdom come. This is the hope of our hearts. So we pray this with fervor and expectancy. But that's the question, isn't it? Do we really pray this prayer with fervency and expectancy? Do we really have what our Lord is calling us to here, this expectancy? Or are we setting our hope on other things? And if we're real honest with one another, most of our hearts are probably in a more delicate place. We pray this prayer, but we really don't mean it. We are like the idea of the Lord coming back as long as he holds off for just a little bit longer, until I finish my degree, or get to hold my baby or my grandbaby for the first time, as long as I get to see my kids grow up, as long as I get this promotion, on and on and on the list could go. Are we really clinging to this hope that Jesus has set before us with dear life? Or are we wasting our lives chasing fantasies and ghosts? Jesus' coming, listen, is more sure than anything in this world. Jesus is coming. And when He comes... I hope that He finds you and I hope that He finds me eagerly and faithfully waiting for Him. 
You say, well, how do I show my eagerness? What do I do to show my eagerness? Here's the solution. We go pray this prayer. And we mean it. Not just in our closets, in our private prayer time, but we live this way. We make this declaration everywhere we go. To our family, Thy kingdom come. At our job, Thy kingdom come. In our schools, Thy kingdom come. In our church, Thy kingdom come. So we set our hearts as we go through this life not wandering about lost, aimlessly beating the air, chasing ghosts. We go through this life setting our hope as the last words of Scripture sets it hope. Listen to what it says. And I hope that this is, this is the hope of your heart this morning. Listen to what it says. This is your hope. And this is the way the Bible ends. Don't miss this. This is the last word that Jesus has left His church. Listen. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who's thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plague described. If anyone takes away from the words of this book the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city which are described in this book. Listen to what he says next. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. So be it. Come, Lord Jesus. When we pray Thy kingdom come, We are setting a vision for our lives of the soon, impending, and imminent coming of Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love You. And if not for You, we would not know what hope was. If not for You, we would not know that we have a future. But because of You, not only do we have a future, but because of You, our future is secure. So Father, this morning our prayer is honest before You. Teach us to pray this way. So many things that we can get distracted by, looking at other things, longing for other things. They may be good things, Lord, but it's not the best thing. One thing is the best thing, and that is the fact that Jesus is coming. Father, I pray when You come, You find us eager for Your coming. Thank You for this prayer. Thank You for giving us hope. Thank You for not only giving us hope, but for securing that hope for us. and Letting us know that the coming of the King is more sure than the sun coming up tomorrow. So we pray together. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, 
please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.